Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is, is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <coughs> Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we begin our summer series on the trees of the Bible, it only seems appropriate that we start at the beginning which is probably one of the most iconic tree stories in the Bible. The story of the two trees in the Garden of Eden. Last week we saw that trees are an important symbol in Scripture. That in the ancient Near East, trees are symbols of power, of fertility, even of divine revelation, places of worship. Abraham hosts the Lord outside of his tent near the Oaks of Mamre, and these great trees point beyond themselves to the one who created them. As we look at this story of the two trees of Eden, we find much that is familiar to us. The church has, from the beginning, found great meaning in these stories of the creation and fall of humankind here at the very beginning of the Bible. Endless books have been written on the days of creation, on the order of creation, on the meaning of the garden, of the four rivers, of the lands they flow through, of the two trees, of the temptation of Adam and Eve, of the fall into sin. In these early stories of scripture, the early theologians of the church identified the root of our spiritual problem in this life. That even though God created all things good, 
humanity rebelled against God and fell into sin, rejecting the path of obedience and choosing the path of self-reliance and self-determination. And that, I think, more than anything, is what these two trees point to. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil point to a choice that we have to make every day. They point to two paths. On the one hand, the tree of life points to the path of obedience, of trusting in God's faithfulness, of following his commandments. The tree of knowledge, on the other hand, points to the path of self-determination, of deciding for ourselves what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. What God shows us here is that there is no shortcut to true knowledge. And as the rest of the scriptures make clear, we grow in wisdom by trusting God and keeping his commandments. The way that the early church interprets this passage is really interesting to me because they move right past the question of whether the Garden of Eden is real or metaphorical, whether the trees are real or metaphorical, whether Adam and Eve are real or metaphorical. The answer is yes. They just accept that. They are real and metaphorical. They very quickly move from that question to the meaning of these two trees. What do these two trees tell us about ourselves? What do they teach us about sin and salvation? What does this story teach us about God? For us, I think, a lot of the time, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil gets a bad rap. Everything that God makes is good. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is no exception. The phrase knowledge of good and evil would have been understood in the ancient world not so much the way that we interpret it, like somehow by eating the fruit of the tree, uh, Adam and Eve brought evil into existence, created evil themselves. The serpent in the story, for example, is already evil, and Adam and Eve know the serpent. But the phrase knowledge of good and evil in the ancient world would have been understood to mean the knowledge of everything. It's the inclusion of two opposites in the one phrase, like heaven and earth or light and darkness. If we were to call it the tree of the knowledge of heaven and earth, we might get a picture that way. The promise of the second tree is not evil. It's knowledge, omniscience, the knowledge of all things. And Christian writers throughout history have recognized that God's prohibition of eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil isn't so much a prohibition against knowledge. It's not so much a, a God commanding Adam to like not learn anything. Knowledge is a good thing. Knowledge is from God. Knowledge is even, as the Heidelberg Catechism makes clear in question and answer 21, a vital part of faith. Faith is a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture. Knowledge is an important part of faith, so why would God forbid his children, forbid Adam and Eve, to pursue knowledge? But what Genesis 2 presents is not so much a question of whether we ought to pursue knowledge, but how we ought to pursue knowledge. Because there is a great difference between knowledge and wisdom. True knowledge, scripture is clear, comes
comes from trusting God and obeying his commandments. We, not, we might not understand the commandments of God. We might not even agree with them all the time. But God's word teaches us that if we are to grow in wisdom and understanding, then we must trust in God. Trust in his goodness, trust in his faithfulness, and trust that what he says is right. And that's the other half of faith. Question and answer 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism goes on, beyond knowledge, to trust. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed in his scripture. It is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me through the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to me, but to others as well, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. And these are gifts of sheer grace, granted solely by Christ's merit. Faith is not only knowledge, it is also trust. To trust in God, to keep his commandments, to trust that God is good, to trust that God knows what he is doing, to trust in spite of all the lies that the world whispers in our ears, that God is faithful and true and will guide us safely to himself. Adam and Eve, in choosing the tree of knowledge, reject the path of life. They reject the path of faithful obedience. They reject the path of flourishing in God's presence. But this rebellion, this rejection, is not theirs alone. Every day of our lives, we make the same choice. We choose to rely on ourselves instead of the God who made us. We choose to put our trust in the things of this world, things that we have made, our social network, our bank account, our family, our technology, our job. We choose to decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. Like we have it all figured out. We pick and choose what parts of scripture we like and ignore the rest. We pick and choose the characteristics of God that make us feel good and reject the rest creating a false God in our own image that fits our lifestyle, a God who isn't really involved in our day-to-day -day lives, but is up there somewhere, far away, hoping that we're happy, maybe, and who is all right with us as long as we try our best to be decent people. But this picture is so different from the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is always present, always watching, always calling us to draw near to him. The God of the Bible loves the creation that he has made. He does not stand far away. He loves the creation he has made. And that is why he hates evil and judges wickedness. The God of the Bible is a God who calls us not just to be good, but to live justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with him. The God of the Bible loved the world so much that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And this is the truth of the matter. When we rely on ourselves, on our own wisdom and knowledge, 
create our own versions of good and evil. The knowledge that is promised Adam and Eve by the serpent in the, in the garden is a false knowledge. It's a self-made knowledge. It is not the wisdom that comes from God. When we rely on ourselves, we fail to properly distinguish between good and evil. We fail. We fall into sin time and time again. We pave crooked paths rather than allowing God to lead us on the straight path. And this is why God forbids Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not because knowledge is a bad thing, but because God wants his children to seek wisdom from him, not from earthly things. God creates all things good. And God wants his children to flourish in the good creation he has made. And so he sets boundaries so that we may all know how to live in a way that pleases him and allows us to grow in wisdom and understanding. Wisdom comes from trusting in God and keeping his commandments. As the teacher says in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and understanding. God wants us to learn wisdom. And by growing in wisdom, we grow in the knowledge of God. It's easy for us to see how the tree of life points to Christ. I mean, that's pretty obvious, I think. Through Christ, all things were created and have their being. In him, all things are held together. In him is life and life abundant. Even though by our rebellion into sin, we cut ourselves off from God's gift of abundant life in Christ, our sins are taken away and we are restored to right relationship with God. Jesus is the tree of life. The tree of life is easy. But it's more difficult for us to see how the tree of the knowledge of good and evil points us to Christ. After the story of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, we don't really hear about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for the rest of Scripture. Because, sorry, I got lost. You know, this, this, is, this is what I do. I, like, go off on a thing that I know I wrote down, and then I go back, and I'm like, wait, where did I write that down? <clears throat> the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is done after Genesis chapter 3. We don't hear about it again. The rest of the scripture focuses on the tree of life. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil points us to Christ in an important way as well. Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a reminder for us that we cannot find wisdom and knowledge in earthly things, not true wisdom. We cannot grow in wisdom by our own might, by our own effort, by our own power. We cannot decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. Instead, we trust in God to grow in his wisdom. And as the Apostle Paul makes clear in the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, Christ is the wisdom of God. 
as we grow in Christ, as we grow in relationship with him, we grow in wisdom. We grow in wisdom. We are knit together in one body until we reach the fullness of the knowledge of the glory of God. In Christ, we find true wisdom, true knowledge, the knowledge of all things in Christ. In the beginning, in paradise, God gives Adam and Eve two signs that teach them about God, these two trees that teach them about God and about themselves. The tree of life is a reminder to them and to us that life is a gift from God himself. The tree of life is a symbol, a sign, a seal of God's grace to us by giving us life, abundant life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is also a sign. It is a reminder to Adam and Eve and also to us all that we ought not to lean on our own understanding, but in all things to trust in God. And he will set us on straight paths. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil reminds us that true wisdom, true knowledge, comes from God, who reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, the word of God, who takes away our sins and clothes us with his righteousness so that we may be called the children of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, let us pray. O oh Lord our God, we give you thanks that through your word, through these stories, these letters, these poems, and these songs, you reveal yourself to us so that we may know you. O oh Lord our God, it is amazing to us that we are able to know you, because you are God, and we are merely creatures. You are above all things, beyond all things, and yet you come to us in ways that we can understand. You teach us who you are through stories, through songs, through poems, through visions. You teach us who you are through your holy word. And as we grow in wisdom, as we grow in the knowledge of you, we come to see who we are as your children. And so, O Lord our God, we pray that every day of our lives, you would give us the strength by your Holy Spirit to choose life in you, to trust in you, and not in worldly things. O Lord our God, we pray that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit, transform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray.